trying to figure out what exactly they're looking at. They'll be confused trying to comprehend what happened to me. Was I born like this? Maybe she was in the military, served in the war and sacrificed this body part. Five years ago, I almost lost my life and my leg. And I told myself that it would be time to tell my story when I could tell it without tears. So after five long years, I'm finally ready. Waiting has been the hardest part of this journey. Hit stop now if you're sensitive to mature subjects, because this story is raw, real, and unfiltered. Episode 6, Rockstar Status. I'm Lisa. And I'm Johnita. Welcome to Waiting is the Hardest. So you just talked to us about um, finally starting to accept that you wanted your leg. Yeah. Are you starting to kind of settle into your new normal? Yeah, I think that um, at this phase, um, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to accept my fate with my leg, but I'm still waiting to be a to become a rock star or to get back to rock star status. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, rock star status kind of went hand in hand with bad B stat- status. Got it. And um I just felt like you know, with with that confidence like at work, you know, I just I felt like a rock star at work. I, I mm-hmm. felt like, I, you know, I was I not I felt like I know that I was doing something that I really enjoyed. I, you know, I just had I had a great situation, a great professional situation, a great personal situation, and I was waiting to to feel like a rock star again. So while I I want I knew I, at this point I want to keep my leg but I'm waiting for that. I'm wait. I'm still waiting for that rock star confidence, that rock star status to come back. And um, one of the, and at first there was some glimmer of hope, mm-hmm. right? Like even though, even though I, I mentioned in an earlier episode about how I noticed that that like with my mental mental taxation or mentally being mentally taxing, that there were some issues with my focus or concentration, I should say, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think that that was going to impact my rock star status. And when I was at home recovering, I was still downstairs in the, in the living room. Um, and I was not, you know, last episode I talked about like how, how I was just feeling awful. Um, but my hairdresser came to town. She had moved out of the state and she was back in town and I told her about what happened. And so she came over to visit me. But while she was there, she decided to do my hair. So she, so she cut my hair. She did my eyebrows. My husband has locks. She twisted him up. So we were looking and feeling good. And I will post a picture in the show notes. You could not tell me anything. Okay. And... um and so I wrote about it. Like I was feeling really good and I wrote about it and I said, uh, maybe it was the bomb ass haircut I received the night before. There's nothing better than making the traumatically injured feel sexy. 
And on top of that, she did my man, my man's hair too. So we were both looking good. After our styles, I kept saying that we needed a night out on the town. Maybe the kitchen served as our date venue. And so what happened was we, um, he put me in my wheelchair mm-hmm. and we wheeled on over to, <laughs> to the kitchen. <laughs> and, um, and I sat up in my wheelchair at the table and, and I don't even remember what we did, like much of nothing probably, but we were just, I was just sitting up and my hair looked good and he looked good. And it was just like, okay, we're out on the town because I'm out of the living room. I'm out of this bed, <laughs> you know, but, um, but that was my glimmer of hope that, okay, I'm feeling good and I'm feeling like I can get back to rock star status like that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, like in the purview, but but it didn't really happen. And something was going on with me mentally. And my mom brought it up when she was visiting. She said that she noticed that there was something with my mental state. And she noticed that um, she was concerned. And I, um, I got defensive. I didn't really know what she was talking about, but I did realize that um, after a while, like I did realize that there was something going on. Like when, like it, one, it was one thing to like look cute from a haircut, but right. then it was another thing to like be given like tasks to mm-hmm. do. Like for example, I used before the accident, I managed all of our household bills, and I, you know, I took care of everything, and I, and and you know, you're in an accident, but you still got to pay bills. Right. So we right. hadn't really, you know, things were kind of falling behind when I was gone. And when, when I got back home, I told Antoine, like I took the bill book and I couldn't do it. I couldn't focus on paying the bills. I was getting overwhelmed. And I told Antoine, I'm like, you got to pay the bills. Like, and I showed him how to pay them. I'm like, you got to do it. I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I would get overwhelmed. Right. And, um, and those kinds of things were happening little by little. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would talk to my boss and, um, cause I, 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 it was like in the back of my mind, like I kind of, it was kind of back there, but I still wasn't like giving it a lot of, a lot of attention. So I applied for a job. Like I mentioned, I applied, I applied for a job. It was a promotion. I was looking forward to it. Um, but again, God lays God makes the best laid plans because mm-hmm. as I was recovering with from that, trying to get that hole from that failed flap to heal, I started to notice more and more that something just was a little bit different about my about my ability to focus and, and to concentrate. And um do you think and, your mind was too much on your recovery? Do you think that there was some something from the accident? How do you how did you figure out exactly what was going on mentally? I don't know if I ever figured out if it was from the recovery or if it was from the accident. You okay. know, they did scans. They did a head to toe scan. So mm-hmm. um medically there was nothing on the scan that showed that anything was wrong, but, but little by little, and it wasn't until, you know, like I started to prepare for, 
for my job, this new position and in, in trying to make the transition back. And I never wanted to admit that something was going on. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of therapy for me to be like, like something, something is, something is a little, just a little bit different with my thinking. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about it. Um, I wrote about that as well because I, I, I was trying to process what was happening. And what I wrote was, um, I didn't, I said, I don't know the exact moment when I knew I wouldn't return to my job. Initially, all I thought about was my return. Actually, soon after I was brought to my hospital room in Roanoke, I thought about the urgency of my work. Um, you know, I work with children with disabilities and, and I had a big burst of energy at the realization that had I survived my life work was as urgent as my life. Mm. In fact, I told my boss that we had a lot of work to do when I returned. As I recovered, my work was one of my motivations. The encouraging words, calls, and cards from my coworkers brought a smile to my face and lifted my spirits. At the time of my accident, I was working on earning an administrative credential in special education supervision. I continued working on Um, an online course that I was teaching, having received an accommodation to complete the work virtually. The distraction was much needed. The doctor said I would be off work for a year, but I was initially determined to return in six months. I felt so invigorated at the thought of returning that I applied for a position as a special education supervisor with my newly earned administrator certificate. My boss's husband stepped in to fill my role during my extended recovery, and I was eternally grateful and had continued determination. But as my recovery continued, I started to see the extent of my functioning, and I started to realize going back to my career would be completely different, and I wasn't sure if I could face this new reality in an atmosphere where people knew the old me. It didn't help that the role I was in before my accident wasn't filled, and I had heard rumblings that I would be assuming some of my former job responsibilities along with my new role, and my conversations with my boss didn't help. She was so eager for my return as we talked about what the future held for me as a leader in the district. I silently knew I held a secret that I couldn't bring myself to reveal. I was different. My movements were slower. My brain was slower. My multitasking was delayed. My focus was more on managing pain instead of staff and helping students. I longed to share my secret, but I didn't know who to trust. My boss was my longtime confidant, but I didn't know if I could divulge the information to her. Would she receive it as a friend or as my supervisor? I also noticed the PTSD that I long tried to push down inside of me pushed its way to the surface like reflux. I couldn't conceal it anymore. I was easily overwhelmed and anxious. The thought of my secret and how to management put me into low overload. My brain felt like a short circuit. I needed to escape the feelings and thoughts, which meant I had to dismiss the secret for another day. I tried, I'd try repeatedly to address my secret, but got the same result. Wow. So with all of that, what do you do? What did I do? Mm-hmm. Well, I just kept, I just 
I, I, I tried to overcome it. I just thought that given time, it would get better. And I remember that, um, I remember my, you know, my, I mentioned that my boss's husband was filling in my role Mm -hmm. and we went out to dinner once and I knew they were going to, you know, they wanted to know my plans for returning and I couldn't talk about it. Like I was, like I said, I was, I was overloaded. And so I remember saying to her, I remember saying something like for my mental health, I cannot talk about my progress or something like that. I feel like we discussed that on the front end. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So, and it took a lot for me to say that it took a lot for me to say that, but I, you know, cause at this point, you know, I have been, I, let me back up. I have a community of sister friends who I love and appreciate and, and, and am eternally grateful to have, um, from, you know, my friend Greta who sent me the song Here I Am by Marvin Sapp that I played every single day. During my recovery, when I was like sad, and and I'll talk about that in episode seven, I think, um, to my friend Brenda, who sent me black eyed peas and and pinto beans because I needed a high protein diet for the recovery of my flap. So my boss is one of those sister friends and, and I would continually update her on my progress, but it got to a point where I could not, I I couldn't talk about what was going on. It was causing too much anxiety. And so it took a lot for me to practice saying those words to say to her, I cannot talk about what's happening anymore because because I was getting to a point where um, all of the all of the recovery, all of the surgeries, all of the healing, all of the different plans, all of the it was just it was just overload. And, right. and I just could not talk to her about it from a from a professional perspective, which meant that I couldn't talk to her from a personal perspective, because as I said in my journal, I wasn't sure if she could which which one, which person mm-hmm. I was talking to. You know, it, what's so hard is that people see us, right, as a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we you talk about these things that you were struggling with, um, not feeling like yourself, not being back mm-hmm. to rock star status, to someone else, it, it's like, this girl is pushing through, she's mm-hmm. thriving, she's resilient, she's determined. Mm-hmm you know, that you are still the same Janita, mm-hmm. right? So I know in, in those moments, it's really hard to tell someone I'm different, right? Mm-hmm. I can't come back to this work and still, I'm not the same person. Mm-hmm. And although you might see me as the same person and you might not notice some of these things, I notice them, mm-hmm. right? And that is yeah. a thing that is more of a distraction. And it, it is something I'm trying to, adjust to and it's you know so it it, I can see how that is challenging to have those types of conversations especially with your inner circle people who consider themselves close to you that they know you yeah that 
you know, they, they don't see the difference. They don't know all of the ins and outs of what you're going through. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good point. And the best way I can describe it, looking back on it, is that um, when when you're someone who has incredibly high standards mm-hmm. and you work at an incredibly high level, mm-hmm. a step down from that still looks like it still looks good to the out to the outside. Right. But to the inside, because you're used to working at such a high level, that step down, it might as well be bottom basement at that point, right? Because right. you're used to holding yourself at such high, high, high standard. And um, it was very, very hard for me to say that. And now that I'm, as I'm talking about it, I think one of the things that I had to come to terms with was that I had to stop focusing on when I was going to be able to go back to work, Mm -hmm. the timeline that I thought that I needed to be on to get back to work. And I needed to just focus on my recovery. And a part of that recovery, as I was beginning to accept, involved emotional and mental recovery as well. It wasn't just physical. Right. And I was starting to get to that point where I was accepting that that recovery was not just one thing for me and maybe for someone else. It was not just one thing. So is that the point where you decided, okay, I do need to go talk to somebody? The therapist helped me. I was already in therapy at this point. Okay. And the therapist helped me to come to terms with this realization. And in fact, she helped me craft that statement that I practice over and over again and, and, you know, and repeat it to my boss. And it was so, it was so hard. It was so hard for me to say those words to her, but I needed to say them. Um, I just, I, I needed, they needed to be said because I, I was different and, and I wasn't at rock star status and I couldn't go. I think at that point I still wanted to go back to work at as rock star. Like I, I just the thought of going back to work with with a not as sharp, not as quick, not as mm-hmm. multitask. Go, returning back to that, right? And people are like staring at you, like cha cha, you back, like right. get back into it. Like I'm like I'm gonna let them down. I'm gonna let myself down. It's going. It, it's it's a it's a lose lose all the way around. I'm gonna let my students down that I support, my teachers. It's gonna be a lose lose all the way around. And so I felt like I needed to um, say that statement, recite that statement and still see if I could work on getting back to rock star status a little bit more. And how did your boss take that message of, I can't talk about it, you know, because of my mental health, like it's not a topic. So my my boss is incredibly wonderful and caring and understanding. And, um, and and she was respectful. I could tell that she was surprised mm-hmm. 
right? I could tell that she was surprised when I said it, but but she was respectful um, of my words. She didn't push, you know, she didn't, we, she didn't come back around. Like we didn't have conversation about something else. And then she tried to sneak it back in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't, she didn't, she did not do any of that. Um, she, she, you know, she was accepting of it. And then, um, that information was good information for her though, because it allowed her and her husband, I believe to figure out, you know, like, look, this lady, she, I'm assuming that this is a conversation at home. Like, okay, she, she not sounding like she ready to gear back up. Right. right. So what you want to do, you want to come back next year. You want to, you know, what you're going to do. And so they later decided to um, go ahead and repost. The district decided to re to repost the position for someone to, for someone else to fill. And, and I, completely understood understood that and in fact I felt relief when it happened mm-hmm. because I don't think I would have ever made that call I would have still been like I can still do it just give me <laughs> one more month I'll get there I'll get there like you know but you know it's like they were so yeah it, it wasn't gonna happen like looking back on it now mm-hmm. it was absolutely the right thing to do because I um, I would not have been able to get there physically or mentally uh, to be able to do the position, do the job. My final question would be how much of your rock star status was wrapped up with your job, your association with your job and what you do? Do you think that was maybe more a part of your identity? How much of that you know, because it definitely seems like you were holding on or did you feel like your job was your, this is my purpose. I am meant to do this job. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess I'm trying to figure out why we holding on to it so tightly instead of instantly switching over to, I'm going to focus on my recovery. The job will be there. Yeah. Well, I think like even reading, reading that uh, excerpt, the job, so working on like working on that credential that gave me purpose Mm-hmm. And I think having something to work towards um, gave me, it gave me purpose. It gave me something else to focus on. Okay. And maybe, maybe I'd, maybe not having a job would have, would have meant that I had to focus on my recovery 100% and maybe I didn't want to focus on it. Mm, that makes you know? sense. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I'm thinking, just reflecting back on it. But I was holding on, girl, holding on. <laughs> y'all just wait for me now. Wait for me. Let me girl, tell you. I would still be like, y'all still wait for me. I'm coming. I'm co- <laughs> Kate Harley Walk. I'm coming. I'll be there in a second. <laughs> Next time on Waiting is the Hardest. It was just so unfair. It was so unfair to me that that life dealt me the hand that it dealt. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and should not be substituted for those of a trained medical professional.